Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me on this episode to talk about Psalm 45, once again, we're grateful to have Dr. Libby Backfish. In this episode, we talk about what is a very unique psalm in Psalm 45. We wrestle with a rather mysterious verse in verse 6, and I'm grateful for Libby's wisdom there. And then we reflect both on how this helps us pray for our leaders and what it might teach us or remind us about celebration and God's part in that. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Libby reading Psalm 45. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory throughout all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Libby, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thank you for having me. You know, the premise of this podcast is that anyone can read the Psalms and anyone can have these conversations. And I truly believe that. But that doesn't mean it's not wise to sometimes seek out help. And so when I read the Psalm and I knew that you were coming, I thought, oh, thank God. <laughs> I need I need some help with this one because this is a really unique and really interesting Psalm. That's funny you say that because when I read this Psalm in preparation, I thought, thank goodness I'll be discussing this with Matt because I need help understanding this. <laughs> it's bad news. <laughs> Perhaps we're blind leading the blind. <laughs> well, maybe our, our, we'll have some enlightened listener who will just, you know, send me an email and correct correct us throughout and we'll, you know, issue a redaction at some point. But I have confidence <laughs> okay. that together we can maybe muddle our way through. Absolutely. But let's dive right into our questions because there's plenty here to muddle our way through, really. Yeah. Libby, what stood out to you in reading the psalm? Well, the first thing that struck me is how unique this psalm is. Yeah. If we think of the Psalms as being the prayer book of God's people or the hymn book of God's people, this Psalm is not directly focused towards God. Yes. The psalmist is directing these words to the king and then shifts the attention to his bride and then back to the king. Mm -hmm. 
So that's pretty unique. And then the other thing I thought was pretty unique is right off the bat, the psalmist is talking about his skill. And then at the end, yes. talking about that's, I mean, that's great. He's allowed to do that, but uh, <laughs> it's not totally against the rules. <laughs> it's not against the rules, but we don't see other psalmists doing that. So yeah. it, it strikes me as being a little unique. But then upon reflection, it reminds me that worship is much more than just song and it's much more even than just prayer. There's other liturgical elements in our services that aren't necessarily directed to God, but it's done in the presence of God and it's equally theological. And especially when we're talking about an Israelite king and queen, the Israelite king represented God in these things, you know, sat metaphorically on God's throne. And so this was definitely a spiritual occasion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, hugely significant. I love, I want to circle back, I think, when we talk about how this psalm helps us to pray to your helpful kind of premise there that worship is more than just prayer. But I think I actually, the first thing that stood out to me was verse four, where it talks about, in your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Mm. Listeners may not know this, but I'm a big Superman fan. And this just (laughs) gave me big Superman (laughs) vibes, because of course, Superman is known for truth, justice, and the American way is part of his. <laughs> Apparently, I was reading today that actually originally it was just truth and justice. And it's the radio program that introduces the American way early on in World oh, War II and then drops it later when the allies are being successful. It was like no longer necessary for their propaganda or something. But anyway, I got major Superman vibes from this <laughs> king right there in that passage. So I just loved, you know, hats off to the NIV English translators who are... They must are, have been Superman fans. Yeah, who are giving me... <laughs> the other thing that stood out to me, and this is just to build on the fact that, yeah, this is not directed towards God, is the last series of Psalms, it's come up over and over in my conversations with people, the ways that the psalmist has this God-infused imagination, mm. a way of viewing the world that is always kind of focusing sort of be almost beyond the immediate and seeing God. And this psalm just takes a very different flavor and is very focused on the immediate. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I was struck by even verse 10. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Mm -hmm. Like even the invitation in this psalm Mm -hmm. is for two people to like have their perspective narrowed to each other. Yeah. And it's it's not just it's not inviting them to worship one another. And in fact, the, the union that's being envisioned here is one that is fertile and rich for the whole people right so Mm -hmm. it's it's an overflowing of god's blessing but i just found it really interesting where i feel like a lot of my conversations recently around the psalms have been about the ways like it helps blow out our perspective Mm -hmm. to narrow into a particular day and two particular people albeit obviously very important people it's just a really interesting contrast it is. And it reminds us that those very particular events like a wedding yeah. are important yeah. to focus in on those things. And the verse you just mentioned, verse 10, directed to the bride, those words, forget your people in your father's house, <laughs> that struck me a little little harsh at first. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, what? Why does she have to forget them? Oh, <laughs> sure. But then I was reminded, or maybe a commentator, in all fairness, reminded me, I don't remember, Genesis 2, verse 24, where we're told uh, the same thing, but to the man. It says, yes. this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Yes. So it's really a mutual focus, I think, is the word you used. Uh-huh. We're just getting the female side here. Uh-huh. And, and then it also reminds me of other people who left their land and their fathers to go where God had called them. So Abraham leaving, Ruth mm. leaving, even famously using words very similar here. You know, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, directing her focus towards God. So I, I, I definitely felt some resonances with those faithful people of God. That's so helpful to bring that up, Libby, because there is, I mean, 
it feels like often when we're reading scripture, we there's it's it's going to lean in certain ways in certain places. And so the fact that people using these words and hearing these words, the Genesis two story is right there, mm-hmm. you know, accessible to them. And yep. yeah, the ways that this is kind of blending and bringing a rich mutuality. Yeah, that's super helpful for a psalm that isn't a prayer. Our second question is pretty interesting, and I'm super curious. What what would you say we learn about God from this psalm? Yeah. So, and this is one of my favorite parts. Uh, verse 2, I'm going to read it again for listeners. It's talking to the king. Yeah. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. And listen for the reason why he's an excellent man. It's not because mm. he's so tough and he's made all these military <laughs> exploits and he's become a celebrity or anything like that. It says, since God has blessed you forever. Hmm. The cause of his excellence, the catalyst, the foundation for why he's an excellent king is God's grace and favor and blessing. So I think we learn that obviously God was the source of the king's blessing, but even extended to us who also represent God being made in his likeness. Our greatness is all based on his grace and blessing. And so that should give us humility, right? Which Mm. is one of the things that the king should be doing. One of the things that I guess Superman wasn't pulling uh, it's, through it's, on, it's right? Left, left he, out I guess he had the justice list. and the truth part, but... <laughs> yeah. <It's> not humble. <laughs> the humble part. And we honestly don't see enough of that with leaders, or right. I guess even superheroes, yeah, right? tragically, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's pretty distinct, and it's a reflection of who God is, of course, that God is mm. the ultimate truth and humility and justice, and of course, we see that manifest in Jesus so beautifully. That's really wonderful. I want, I want to wrestle with... The, like one of the only other mentions of God, which is in verse, well, we see him mentioned oh. explicitly in verse seven, but verse six, we uh, have to talk about. I knew you'd go there. Of course. Yeah. It's so strange. It, and I, I want to hear your thoughts and I can, we can use some commentators to help us wrestle too a little bit as, okay. as needed. But here's the verse again. So again, this uh, stirred psalmist is writing, praising the king. Let your sharp arrows, this is starting in verse 5, pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Yeah, so either the psalmist is shifting attention away from the king to God, which doesn't sound natural here because then he's talking right back to the king again. Yes, or he's calling the king God. Right. Which that's a no-no for Israel. Like, sure, you can do that in Egypt, but uh, not in Israel. <laughs> or something else is happening. So I had to consult commentators. Yeah. And the best ideas I've heard is that this is kind of a metonym for the king himself. So the throne, oh, divinely anointed king. That would be one option. Or your throne, which is God's throne, uh-huh. kind of an abbreviation, will last forever and ever. So, and psalmists are famous for writing in a really terse way. Like they'll just leave out words that they think you don't need. Mm -hmm. So maybe to make the meter and the rhythm flow, the psalmist just thought, I can just put Elohim here and everybody will know that. Elohim meaning God. Meaning God. Everybody knows we're talking about, you know, God's throne is the king's throne. Yeah. That's my best guess though. I'd love to hear your best guess. (laughs) Well, I think it. this is such an interesting passage because it has different layers. I think there is totally the layer of... Well, obviously, there's a layer of how would a person in Israel hear this and what's appropriate and Mm -hmm. what's inappropriate for them to say, which I think you've helpfully kind of pointed us in a couple of possible directions of how we can square that with their understanding of the king and the king's relationship to God. Then there's what the New Testament does with this, Mm. where Hebrews picks this up 
in basically explaining why Jesus is superior to the angels. Mm -hmm. And this becomes sort of like one of the proof texts that the author is saying like, oh, yeah, well, look, like the psalmist makes clear about Jesus that Uh like essentially he's elevated because he refers to him as God. This is from Hebrews 1, verse 8, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. There is a leaning into sort of the the elevation and the mm-hmm. escalation that the psalmist language is doing. And I think it's holistic, right? It's not just that the author of Hebrews is saying, oh, look, he calls him God. I don't think that's the mm-hmm. whole point of the quote. Otherwise, yeah. he would just quote that and be done with it. It's the whole kingship. But I think it's just a fascinating thing for the for the author of Hebrews to then pick up and say, yeah. oh, there's something about Jesus happening here. Yes. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Whereas the original psalmist might have just been talking about the Davidic king on right. a divine throne, the author of Hebrews looks back and says, oh, yeah, Jesus is on that divine throne because he's divine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And we see that happening. Like Matthew likes to do that, too. Matthew will look back at an Old Testament passage that may not have had quite that elevation, like yeah. the Emmanuel passage mm. was probably referring to a king in the Old Testament. And then Matthew says, oh, but look, Jesus is literally Emmanuel, literally God with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So they see that kind of pregnant elevation in the Old Testament and they expose it or celebrate it. Yeah, I love I love I was reading commentator Derek Kidner. He, he put it this way. It is an example of Old Testament language bursting its banks Ooh. to demand a more than human fulfillment, which I thought is so rich, right? Mm-hmm. Like here we are, like we're kind of like when we're talking about like how they would have heard it, how they would have read it. We're like, ah, oh, it's not clear because it's awkward. And like, <laughs> what exactly is going on? And like, he's kind of one of his point is like the river is sort of overflowing here. It's just waiting for the author of Hebrews to say, hey, like the whole Bible, like it's all about Jesus is pointing us to him. Like, mm-hmm. look, look at what's happening here. I just thought that was so, that was so rich. And so then to speak about what we learn about God is we're learning the fuller picture of Jesus as king. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that teaches us something about God and it teaches us something about Jesus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He carries with him not just truth and justice. As much as uh, we could talk about Jesus and Superman, but also the humility he carries with him. He brings blessing and carries blessing Mm -hmm. kind of in the same way. Shall we turn to our third question? Sure. How does this psalm help us to pray? I think we kind of orbited a little bit earlier, but let's let's dive into it. Yeah. So I really latched on to these these things that the king is working towards, the causes of um, truth, humility and justice. If that's Mm. characterizing the king's reign. Um, as a reflection of who God is, then I think that that should also characterize his kingdom and everybody in it. And so I think there would be room to pray for that to be reflected in our own lives and Mm. also to be reflected in our leaders. And I want to be careful to recognize that our leaders are not like the Davidic king. That was, you know, they were divinely appointed and represented God in a way that our current president or church leaders or anything like that don't emulate. But there are similarities, right? And Mm. so I think we can pray that our leaders will more and more reflect these qualities that are essential in scripture rather than other qualities that the world often deems most important for leaders. Oh, that I I should have gone first because that's just such a wonderful answer. (laughs) (laughs) I really struggled with this question. (laughs) I read the psalm, I read it again. I was like, I answered my first two questions, you know, in my notes and I thought, I don't know how this helps me to pray. It's about it's like a it's a wedding song. <laughs> like I don't know. And your answer is so good, but here's here's my best stab mm-hmm. and you can correct and make it even better as I as I know you can. As I thought about it, one of the things that it reminds us of 
and this is partly because I've been having conversations with a, a couple of couples who I'm going to do kind of wedding-esque ceremonies yeah. for sort of vow renewal type things. But one of the opening parts of this ceremonies language talks about God's love for weddings. And Jesus' first recorded miracle in John's gospel, of course, is turning water into wine and the sense of it almost inaugurates the miraculous part of his ministry in an act of celebration, mm -hmm. right? And so that's kind of the opening of the liturgy, so to speak. And as I read the psalm, I it just thought it's another reminder to us that God loves celebration mm -hmm. and that God is never far from celebration. Like this is verse seven, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions. And the way he has set the king above his companions is by anointing you with the oil of joy, mm, <laughs> which is yeah. such a rich, wonderful image that there's something particularly joyful uh, and maybe accentuated in the particular day that the Psalm is uh, talking about. But I also thought as I was thinking about celebration and the invitation of this psalm to be aware of God's presence in the midst of celebration mm. was uh, that it's actually different than gratitude. And let me try this on for you and you can tell me whether you think I'm like articulating anything that's true. So I thought about gratitude. Gratitude is often something that is a retrospective kind of experience. We look back and it might be something recent, but we kind of look back and we say, oh, thank you, God for what happened or for what you've done or how this played out. And the Psalms are obviously full of this gratitude looking back. There's often a sense of the Psalmist looking back yep. and bringing gratitude. But I wondered if this Psalm invites us sort of into the pomp and circumstance of the day, into the joy of the day to remember that there's, there's some ways that we're invited to be aware of God and what he's doing, like in the midst of it. Like it's an invitation to an ongoing awareness, not just like once it's all over, we look back and at the end of the day, say thanks. But like in the midst of it, there's opportunity for gratitude and awareness of what he's doing. Yeah, that was my best stab at like how this psalm might help wow. us to pray. But it goes again to what you're talking about, that like our acts of worship are not, not not necessarily always words of prayer or singing. There's lots of things that are acts of worship and the celebration is certainly kind of and celebrating these momentous kind of occasions in people's lives are acts of worship. Yeah, and they're beautiful. And we're reminded throughout scripture that they use the analogy of a marriage for the relationship between God and his people. So yeah. that reflects on how much God loves marriage and, right. and loves these celebrations. In terms of the gratitude being not just a reflection on what has happened, but being grateful like in the moment, that's pretty it's pretty existential. That's kind of like, I don't know. That's great. I love it. But it seems like that's hard to do. Yeah. 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 I don't think that's an easy thing for sure. And I don't have like, I don't think it's something where it's like, here's three tips to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think my guess is, or my hunch is, it's maybe the kind of thing that gets formed in us over a lifetime of engaging the Psalms and engaging like just practice with being aware of God's presence in yes. our lives. Like I think of like someone like Brother Lawrence who infamously infamously not infamously he wasn't a bandit famously <laughs> in the midst of washing dishes is praying and all of his life becomes a prayer well you imagine someone like brother lawrence who has like over over years shaped his life in such a way what must he have been like at a wedding right i mean i don't know maybe very he was very joyous. dour but you can yes. imagine like and what does it look like to translate kind of those the awareness of god with us in our daily lives then to these moments like these heightened moments of life it seems like that could be really rich yeah. but I'm, I'm kind of also reaching in some sense, like with desire and hope for that as a, as a reality. Maybe it's an eschatological reality more than anything, but yeah. yeah. I think that's great. That's a good reflection. Well, thanks, Libby. I, I'm convinced yours was better, but I appreciate your kind <laughs> of words. Libby, do you have any final thoughts on this psalm? I'm so grateful for this conversation. I 
I, I don't have any more good thoughts. <laughs> I'm all out of good thoughts. <laughs> well, we ran out of my good thoughts about a question ago, but this, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for talking about this psalm. You've helped take us through the whole Bible, right? Put this in conversation and remind us true about, yeah, wedding also as the image of uh, God's relationship with his people and Christ's relationship with the church too, that Paul's going to pick up in Ephesians as well. So thank you for this conversation as always. Thank you. Well, let's end with this gnarly again, verse six and then seven that ends with this oil of joy. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>